Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, I want you to give Jesus your best praise. Oops, excuse me. Hey, can we do this? Can we clap our hands and show our love and appreciation for the worship team? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Man. You can just sense the presence of God here. And uh, it's good to get to be back. I don't feel like I'm a guest speaker. I feel like I'm your crazy uncle that gets to come home every once in a while. Um, but it's cool to get to see um, what God's doing. This is just the first service, and it's packed in here. And uh, I was just thinking during worship just about the resiliency of this church. Here's the word that came to mind. This church is scrappy. You are scrappy. Like, how many different venues have you guys been in? I'm just praying and believing and declaring that you guys are going to have your own beautiful church building. And, uh, but it really doesn't matter. You know, bricks and mortar, it really doesn't matter because look at what God is doing through this church. This is such a beautiful church. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I get to travel all over uh, America preaching at churches, teaching and serving churches. I run an organization called Sidecar Leader. And uh, we actually, uh, we come alongside lead pastors and executive leadership teams, uh, helping them with their vision, helping them with their organization. Uh, and, and what I know is this, is that uh, healthy churches are led by healthy leaders. Uh, healthy organizations are led by healthy leaders. Toxic churches are led by toxic pastors and leaders. Uh, <laughs> And what I know is the reason why God's hand is on this church is God is blessing uh, this church because there, there are leaders, there's pastors that can be trusted as stewards. And I just want to honor your pastors. I know that they're not here. I believe Pastor Tom and Rachel are on, on sabbatical or vacation. Um, and, um, but even though they're not here, I think it would, it would, it would be so fitting for us just to, to honor them, honor their leadership, and just thank God for them. Yeah. You know, one of the first, and we're going to jump into the words in a second, but one of the first uh, friends that, that, that I made whenever I moved here, I lived here for about four years, pastored a church in San Francisco for, for a little bit, and uh, one of the first friends that I made was Pastor Tyler. And I, I don't know if, if I haven't met you yet, maybe uh, we haven't you know, had a chance to, to have a conversation, but I talked about this, I think, maybe the, one of the first times I spoke here, is I, I met with this one pastor and I don't want to throw any shade, but uh, radical candor, okay? Uh, I'm one of those pastors. Like, I'm just going to say how it is, you know? And so this, uh, I met with this one pastor. It was so hard to meet with this guy. It just was awkward. We did that awkward departure where we didn't know, do we hug? Do we shake hands? What do we do? You know, and I remember getting in my car. I was so discouraged. I was like fresh in the city, just trying to make some friends. And then, um, and then the very next day, I met uh, for lunch with Pastor Tyler. And uh, it was so different. You would have thought we were two 13-year-old girls, just giddy, just like this conversation. It lasted for like three hours. It was supposed to be like an hour lunch. And, um, and I remember getting back into my, my car, driving back to my house, and I, I thought this. I want to do life with him and with them for the rest of my life. I want to do ministry with people like that. They're the life-giving leaders. And so I just honor your pastors. I wish I'd give Pastor Tyler a big hug, but whenever you see him, give him a big hug for me. So, uh, hey, can I show you a picture of my family really quick? It gives me a little street cred. I think they're going to put it up here uh, for a moment. Uh, this is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, do they have it up there? I think you may have it. May, maybe, maybe not. Oh, I don't know. It's okay. I have it on my iPad. Can you see? Can you want to pass my iPad around? <laughs> well, my wife, Jennifer, and I, we, we've, been, we've been married now. It just made, we just made 18 years of marriage. Yeah. And uh, 
you're really clapping your hands for her because for her to be married to somebody crazy like me for that long is pretty impressive. Uh, but we started dating 26 years ago uh, at a Christian school. It was Christian by name, but not by nature, if you know what I'm talking about. It was one of those Christian schools. And wasn't nobody saved at that school. <laughs> we were all developing our testimonies. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> It's early. I need some coffee. Uh, I flew in. I got in last night like one in the morning, so bear with me. Uh, if I say anything crazy, Pastor Tower, clean it up next week. But anyway, um, we started dating like 26 years ago and uh, on and off for a little bit, but now we've been married for 18 years. We have three beautiful children. Uh, our oldest son, Liam, he just uh, he's 13. He'll be 14 uh, in November, and he's just an incredible athlete. He's a stud. He's starting to get like muscles. Like, he's walking around the house with his shirt off now. And I'm starting to see muscles, and I'm like, I can still take you, man. I can still take you out. But I uh, love him so much. And then uh, we have a son that in just a few days, he'll be 11 years old. His name's Nixon, um, Nixon Michael. He's amazing, creative. Uh, he loves, loves school, great academic uh, kid. And then uh, we have a little girl named Novi, Novi Sophia. She just made four. And uh, I love her, I think, more than the boys. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Any, any girl dads in here? You got any girl dads in here? Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's just different. It's just like, man, I love her. I told her, I was like, I will buy you anything you want. Like, whatever you want, you can have it, you know. <clears throat> All right, well, let's jump into the word. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. I was asked to speak um, a couple weeks ago at my home church uh, in, in Nashville. I, I usually am traveling two weekends, three weekends out of the month speaking at other churches, but my home church asked me to speak, and it was my first time actually speaking at this particular uh, church. And so they, they said, we want you to share from sort of some life verses, some, some verses that have really impacted your life. And, and, and we also want you to share much of your story because our church hasn't heard from you yet. And so I immediately, whenever they said that, I, I thought of these verses. These verses have probably impacted my life probably more than any other verses. These verses are so powerful. It's just two verses. Uh, we'll break them down throughout this, this conversation today. But these verses are, are, are pointed to a specific topic that and to be candid, it's not really a lighthearted topic. It's, it's, about, it's about unforgiveness. Uh, it's not one of those like humorous, like that's why I tried to work it a little bit there at the beginning because this is heavy. This is, a, this is about bitterness and resentment. Like somebody's like, oh God, please. I thought we were talking about joy today. You know? and, and, but I've dealt with this in my own life for years. Um, there's been part of my experience has, has called upon me to apply these verses to my life. And so today I want to talk about uh, forgiveness and overcoming uh, maybe some hurt, maybe some trauma, maybe uh, some offense. And here's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, he says, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. It's as if he's saying, this is not a comprehensive list. This is when the trajectory of your emotions and your actions are, are in this direction. He says, you got to get that out of your life. Get, get rid of it. Instead, be kind to each other. Don't you know that we live in a culture today that could use a little bit more kindness? He said, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, like have a soft heart. Have a soft heart. Forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. As I prayed about this particular message, I've I, I kind of heard these three words, turn the page, turn the page. 
that, that, that phrase, it, it implies that it's easy to get stuck in a particular part of your narrative and your story. You can get stuck in offense, stuck in pain, stuck in trauma, stuck in tragedy, and we can get stuck in a moment, but God says, I want you to turn the page. That, there's more to your story. Your best days are actually in front of you. There's more to your story. Turn the page. And, and what I've discovered in my personal experience is one of the easiest things in life to get stuck in is unforgiveness. It's one of the easiest things to, to get you stuck in your story. And, and, and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, it can begin to permeate every area of our life and actually affect all of us. And so today my prayer is that you would hear this with fresh, fresh ears, open eyes, open ear, open heart. Because here's what I know. Today, some of you need this message right now. Some of you, this is going to, this may even be hard for you to even hear. Some of you may even squirm just a little bit. And that's okay. That's the Holy Spirit working. Some of you need this message right now. But some of you, you're going to think, I wish I would have heard this 10 years ago. And for others of you, I may be preaching to you in three years. Three years from now. Ten years from now. Why? Because... Part of the human experience is that people will inevitably hurt you. People will wound you. People will betray you. People will abandon you. People will reject you. It's part of the human experience because of the depravity of man, because of the fallen nature of humankind. And so life is riddled with pain oftentimes relationally because because it's just part of the human experience. And so as people of God, we have to learn this gift of being guilty of grace. And extending grace and forgiveness to people because this is what Paul calls us to. And so today we're going to talk about turning the page. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you so much. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. And bless our pastors. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that some things are just hard to get over? Uh, I thought about my first, the girl, the, my first crush. Like the first person I ever fell in love with. It was so long ago. It was back... It was back when there was waterbeds. Y'all remember waterbeds? <laughs> just to, just to timestamp that thing. Waterbeds, man. It was, I had a waterbed. It was so cool. A waterbed. I started dating this girl. I fell in love with this girl. Her name was Mandy. My brother told me her name the other day. I asked him, I said, what was her name? He said, Mandy. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Mandy. I fell in love with her, and two weeks later, she dumped me. She broke up with me for my brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all, I remember my brother would come home. <laughs> My brother would come home. I would be listening to Mariah Carey. I'll be there on that waterbed, and that sheet would slide off of it. My face, tears just sticking to that mattress. And my brother would get to the corner of that bed and would push on it in little waves, just I'm weeping and crying. I couldn't get over it. It took me months to get over that. And then I fell in love, in love again. So uh, there's something that's just hard to get over. It's hard for me. Like if I'm eating at a restaurant and I'm mid-bite and I see something in my food, in my food that should not be there. How many of you in here, you just pick it out and you keep eating? Y'all need counseling. Y'all need, y'all need Jesus and y'all need some serious counseling. I can't do it. I get up and walk out. I will walk out that restaurant in a heartbeat. I just can't get over it. Some things in life are just hard to get over. And what I've discovered is, 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 is in all seriousness, offense and pain, it is just, it's so easy to get stuck and it's hard to get over it when someone has hurt you. Have you ever been hurt before? Have you ever been wounded by someone before? Have you ever had someone betray you? Maybe a parent abused you, a spouse was unfaithful, a friend betrayed you, a boss treated you without respect or dignity. Maybe a spiritual leader hurt you or disappointed you or let you down. To which Paul says, you got to get over it. You got to forgive them. 
you, you got to let it go. You've got to release grace to them. And, and to which it's easy to, to read this, to look at this text and think, Paul, you seem to lack empathy. Like if you knew my story, you would say something a little different. If you knew the pain that my uncle caused me, you wouldn't take this so lightly, Paul. Why, why are you just saying just, just get over it? That's, the tone seems like he's just so insensitive. To which I would just submit an idea to you that you've got to understand that the Apostle Paul, the reason his words carry weight, because he's writing this from a jail cell. This is a man who has been rejected by people. He's been lied about. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been thrown in prison. He's been rejected by many towns that he's gone to just share the gospel of Jesus with, trying to serve people and love people. Even people in ministry have tried to unravel his ministry and undo things that he had done in ministry. This is a man that has a pen in his hand and has every right based off of his human experience to say, I'll tell you what you should do to them. And just instead he doesn't. He says, trust me, if I've learned anything, you got to release grace. you got to extend grace. Don't hold on to it, Paul says. Don't get stuck. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is very doctrinal. Chapter 4 through 6 is more practical. Uh, but, but in this particular passage here, he's, he's coming out of just saying, now that you're children of the light, you, the lights have been turned on for you. Uh, you've, you've received grace. You've received forgiveness from Jesus. You're no longer like the culture. You're no longer like the world. You're different. You're children of God. You're children of the light. The lights have been turned on, and now you see things for as they really are. And because you're children of the light, you're going to live different. You're not going to hold on to grudges like the world. You're not going to be mean-spirited. You're not going to have a hard heart towards people. You're going to be people of kindness, people of grace, people of love, people of forgiveness. He goes, this is what it means when the lights have been turned on for you. And this is what he is telling them, and his words carry weight, but... But have you ever wondered, why is it? Why is it so hard to get over it when someone hurts you? And it doesn't matter the scope of the, of the offense, if it's something small or if it's something big. When it hurts, when, when, it, when it hits your interior life and it causes grief on the inside of you, maybe torment, maybe pain, have you ever wondered, it's just so hard. Why? Why is it so hard to get over it? I would suppose it is because of this. The reason it's so hard to simply get over it when someone has hurt you is because it makes you have this sense that something has been taken from you. Something has been stolen from you, and now it's created a debt, and you can't get over it until, until things are settled up and made right. You want them to pay for what they've done for you, and that's why it's called payback. Offense creates a debt. A debt has been accrued, and now someone has to pay for your pain, but it shouldn't be you. And so, so now we create some kind of scenario in our mind that will be their payback. See, here's the thing. When you're sexually abused, there's a sense that your innocence was stolen from you. Physically, emotionally, or verbally abused, you were robbed of your dignity and your humanity. Your parents divorce, you have this sense that you were robbed of a normal childhood. A friend betrays you, and there's this sense that you were taken advantage of. Someone gossips about you, you have this sense that the respect that you deserve was robbed from you. And offense brings hurt, and hurt creates a debt, and someone has to pay for it, but it shouldn't be me. See, my... My parents were in ministry. They were pastors. And I've, I've told you guys a little bit of my story before, but my parents were in ministry, church planters, pastors, missionaries. So I grew up in the church, but my dad never dealt with his past. He, he grew up in his family of origin where there was a lot of brokenness and pain, a lot of abuse. And so he sort of did what kind of the old school folks did, just stuff it and avoid it. Never dealt with it. Never went through counseling. Never 
did any of those things. And, and eventually the pressure and the pace of ministry and life began to just cause his interior life to implode. And the way that it manifested was through verbal abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse within our family. I came home from football one day and my, my mom had her shirt ripped off of her and was bleeding out of her face. My dad had preached Sunday and on Monday that's what I came home to. And my father left our family and um, my mom lived in a battered women's shelter and I, I lived with my high school football coach for a bit. And I began to really hate my father. I began to hate God, to be honest. Like, I just was like, if this is what religious people are about, if this is what people in ministry and pastors are, then I, don't, I want nothing to do with you, God. And this is, what, this is what I thought. I didn't know how to articulate it then, but I thought, my dad owes me. And the way I'm going to make him pay for it is I'll never speak to him again. That will be the payback. And when I have kids, he'll, or when I get married, I will not invite him to my wedding. And when I have kids, he'll, he'll never get to see his grandchildren. And that's how he'll pay for it. Because the offense and the hurt, it created a debt. And that's what brings us to forgiveness. See, forgiveness, before it's a spiritual or theological term, it's actually a financial term. You know what forgiveness actually just means? To cancel a debt. And I love that, that, that Scripture uses this word theologically because what we know is that, that the Bible says that, that we're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. The debt for sin is death. But thank God for Jesus Christ who paid our debt, right? That is what the gospel tells us, that when we're forgiven by God through Christ Jesus, here's what literally happens. The debt that we owe is canceled, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. And, and that gives us a model for forgiveness is that when we forgive someone, whatever that debt may be that they've accrued, all you're doing is making a decision, debt canceled. You don't owe me anymore. When, my, uh, when I got into ministry, I hadn't talked to my dad in years, probably it had been five, six years at this point. And I was actually a youth pastor and I was, I was traveling to India and I preached in front of 70,000 people, preached the gospel of grace. And it was amazing. Never, never been a part of anything like that before. Got on the plane as I was flying back, doing my daily reading plan. Do you guys do a daily Bible reading plan? I was doing that. And my prescribed reading on the plane was Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. When I read it, I felt like the Lord just in his smooth way just said, how are you going to be in the profession of forgiveness and not actually practice forgiveness? You need to forgive your father. I was like, oh, oh. all right, if that's you, God, show me a sign. Why do, we, why do we do that, right? I, live, I, live, I moved into a house, and I lived five houses down from my father in a, a city of 275,000 people. When I moved into my house, my dad, I saw my dad riding on a cruiser with his new wife riding through my neighborhood, and I thought, is that the sign, God? Really? But when I met with my dad, God told me specifically what to say. We met for two hours, had a long coffee. It was, it was great. And then we, we got up to go to our car, and I said, Dad, I want to tell you something. And he immediately started to, to recite what he had probably rehearsed for a long time. I, the son, with tears streaming down, I said, son, I'm so sorry. And I said, Dad, no, 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 listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I've treated you all these years. I'm sorry for not being a son of honor. I'm sorry for the way that I've made you pay for all this stuff by the silent treatment and avoiding you. And, Dad, I just want you to hear me say this. I forgive you. I ask you to forgive me. Debt canceled. 
You don't know me anymore. When I released grace, grace released me. It transformed my life. It was like a new level of freedom and healing in my, in my life. And it's because I had to make a decision to cancel the debt. And some of you here are saying, yeah, that's your story, Jason, but you don't know my story. Listen, all of you have a story. And if you don't have one yet, you will. It's not a prophetic word. It's just that you will. So why should you forgive? Let me give you just a couple reasons why. Here's the first one. Write this down. Why should you forgive? Because unforgiveness hurts you the most. If I've learned anything in 41 years, is that? Joyce Meyer, I heard her say one time, she said, um, bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Ever heard that? Bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. That's brilliant. That is exactly what it is, and that's why the writer in Hebrews says this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. Notice what he says. Bitterness, it's poison. It is poison, number one. It's poisonous. But notice it also says that it grows, which means no matter how small the offense may be, unchecked and unhealed will grow and will trouble all of your life. It can't stay isolated. That's why you're at work and your boss offends you. Thank you. Your boss offends you and publicly shames you in front of your peers. And, and you let that, that seed of bitterness get in there unchecked. And then, then you start blowing up on your wife or your kids. Why? Because this seed grew up and now is troubling your life. This has been true in my life. I was a troubled young man. At 14 to 18 was one of the darkest times of my life because I, I, I refused to confront the bitterness and the hurt and the pain. And instead, I chose to, to just try to deaden the pain through substance abuse and through inappropriate relationships and different things like that. I remember, I remember when I was 15, 16 years old, I was at a party, and I was a lover, not a fighter, right? I, I just, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But for some reason, I don't know why I did it, I just went up to this guy, and I just punched this guy as hard as I could, and I didn't stop. I kept just, I just beat this guy up so bad, 15, 16 years old. And I walked around the side of the house, and I slid down the side of this house, and I just began to weep and cry, not because I felt pain, but for the first time in a long time, I felt peace, what I thought was peace. It wasn't peace. I was anesthetizing the pain by taking my hurt and hurting someone else. Remember that phrase, hurt people? hurt people. And what I found is that I could have temporary relief either through substance abuse or through, through hurting other people. And I spent a lot of my life those years in and out of jail. Like they don't put my credentials on the walls of any churches. It's like felony, misdemeanor, (laughs) but hurt people, hurt people. And that's, that's the process. You're hurt, unchecked, goes to unforgiveness, then moves to bitterness, then turns to anger. And then you start to hurt people. And you live in that perpetual cycle. And here's what else it does. It also in your ecosystem, if people are unhealthy, then, then the same thing happens to them. The person you hurt, then their hurt will turn into their unforgiveness. Then will turn into their bitterness. And that's, that is the world that we actually live in today. We have broken people that have either not experienced the grace of God or they're not releasing the grace of God to other people. And the cycle continues. I remember going to my um, counselor. I was, it was court appointed. 
the, the judge, Judge Anderson. Uh, I'm 17 years old. My mom's with me at, at, at this court hearing. And, uh, and I, he had every right to throw me in prison, like every right. I had all violent crimes, all fighting, fistic encounters, like three felony, secondary battery charges. I mean, it was pretty bad. And it was all because I was so angry on the inside, so bitter. And it was all stemming from my family of origin, what I experienced with my father. The judge knew none of that, but the judge said, son, I have every right to throw you in prison, but I'm not because it won't help you. He said, you're already in a prison. He said, you need help. And he said, I'm, I want you, you're going to start counseling. He goes, and I'm going to let your mother choose your counselor. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> so my mom chooses this faith-based counselor. I start seeing this guy. It was actually at the, the church that was connected to the school that I grew up in. And as I'm seeing him, I would, I would get so angry in there. He would, he would start asking me questions about my father, and I would get so mad. He just kept asking me questions and writing on a legal pad. I wanted to burn that legal pad. <laughs> I'm like, we're paying you to ask me questions, and you just write. He was probably drawing. Like, <clears throat> and I, I remember after weeks of me just going off about my dad, he finally looked at me. He said, son, he goes, I shouldn't say this. It's really, it breaks confidentiality. He goes, but I'm also your father's counselor. He said, you would have more empathy and understanding if you knew what your father went through as a child. He said, I, I made your father write a, a tribute letter to his mother, his deceased mother, and, and to confront, to, to, to write a tribute, but also to confront her about some childhood um, harm that was caused in her care. And he said, your father wept on my couch for an hour. He goes, I want you to hear me when I say this. He said, the one you resent, you now resemble. You see... The person you resent right now for that pain, you will eventually resemble. Their hurt and their brokenness caused that in your life, and if you leave it unchecked, it'll be perpetual in your own life. So the first reason why you got to forgive is because it, it hurts you the most. The second reason is because you're gonna need you're gonna need forgiveness again one day. You are going to need forgiveness again one day. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And here's how I want you to pray, guys. And forgive us our debts as we, just as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who have sinned against us. Are you willing to pray a prayer like that? God, I want you to forgive me to the same degree that I have forgiven my ex-wife. God, I want you to forgive me to the same measure that I've forgiven my father. God, only to the degree that I've forgiven my boss. That's all, I, that's all the forgiveness I need. Wow. Like, who's willing to pray that? I don't want to pray that. I don't want to pray that at all. You know, pastors are notorious over the years, especially prosperity preachers, for using this particular scripture. Um, you know, that give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over and men give on your bosom, whatever. That's so weird. <clears throat> but think about that. A lot of times people have manipulated that scripture and they've used it to say about money, give and it shall be given to you. The context of that scripture is not about money. It's about mercy. It's about grace. So, it, so it's saying give grace and it shall be given to you. Give mercy, and it shall be given to you. 
to the measure that we give grace and mercy, I would, I would suppose that we're planting seeds that we're going to harvest. And some of us are going to have a huge harvest of grace when we need it. And others, maybe not so much. Jesus also said this, but when you are praying, first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. So that your heavenly father will forgive your sins too. Now, let me be crystal clear. I do not believe, when you read the totality of Scripture, that what Jesus is saying here is, if you forgive, I will forgive. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive. I don't, I, what we see is we are, we are forgiven by grace through faith. It is not of ourself, therefore we cannot boast. That's what we know. That, the totality of Scripture, it is solo gratia. It is grace alone. It is not I do this and God does this. We don't barter with God for forgiveness and grace. But here's what I think Jesus is getting at. If hurt people hurt people, there is this expectation of the people of God that forgiven people forgive people. That if we've experienced grace, we release grace. There is a standard that he calls us to that, that when, we, when we've walked in, in our life and we've committed sins and we've made mistakes and we've, we've messed things up and we've screwed up and we've taken one step forward and five steps back and God keeps us grace, grace, yeah. mercy, forgiveness. The expectation is when someone hurts us that we look back and we go, I have been forgiven so much. Yeah. I got to give them grace. I've got to extend forgiveness. I've got to extend mercy. I'll never forget had a mentor of mine, spiritual leader, spiritual father, betrayed me deeply in 2012, hurt me so bad, me and a group of people. It was very bad. We, we probably propped him up way more than we should have. I think churches, especially evangelical church, can do that. We can venerate our saints. You know, we're, we may not be the Catholic church, but we definitely can still venerate our saints. The difference between the Catholic church and the evangelical church is this, is uh, Catholic church, their saints are dead. Ours are alive. Jonathan Edwards said this. Jonathan Edwards said, be careful, be careful venerating your church leaders because the ones that you idolize, when they fail you, because they will, you will then demonize them. And I demonized this leader. I was so angry and so mad at him. And I remember uh, just feeling so much pain for a couple weeks there. Didn't want to talk to him. Gave him the silent treatment just like I gave my dad. And I was sitting at a dinner, and there was a, a, a pastor that was a guest speaker. It was a very prophetic voice. I mean, this guy, he could just hear from God and just boom. And I'm sitting down at this dinner, and while we're eating, I'm, think, I'm literally ruminating on the thoughts about what my pastor and my spiritual mentor had done. And he, this guy at the table doesn't know it. And he, mid-bite, he, I think he had mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> mid-bite, big old dude, too. Mid-bite, he looks up, he looks at me, and looks at three or four other pastors, he goes, fellas, we need to extend the grace we hope we someday never need. Started back eating the potatoes. <laughs> Think about that. Extend the grace you hope you someday never need. That is what people, the people of God, that's what we're called to do. And the two reasons why. You, it's going to hurt you the most if you don't. And you're going to need it again one day. Listen to me. You're going to need your wife to forgive you one day. I know that from last week when I went on vacation. It's like, babe, I'm so sorry. I was... I was mean this week. Rained every day, and I was the golf cart driver for everybody. Anyway, I'm just processing too much out loud with you guys. I need counseling. <laughs> how do we forgive? Let me hurry. How do we forgive? So we've talked about what it is, why we should, how. How do we do it? Jesus said, Matthew 5, he says, You have heard that it was once said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
That sounds pretty intuitive, right? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. What? Bless those who curse you. What? Do good to those who hate you. What? And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know what Jesus is is essentially doing when he lists these different things for them to do? He's saying this. Here's the first step of forgiveness. You have to choose grace. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a decision. It is a decision. And he's saying you have to choose not to hate your enemy, not to hate your ex-wife, not to hate your uncle, not to hold on to resentment and bitterness, but choose today I will be a person of grace. I will be a person of forgiveness. you got to make the choice. It is a decision. It is not an emotion. Choose grace. And he gives some practical things to do there. And I read that list, and I remember even with my own father, I remember just thinking, how am I going to bless him? How am I going to love? How am I going to do good? I don't want to see him. First step, God said this to me. He said, then start praying for him. And that list of things that Jesus gives as, as directives There's one that we can do from far away is pray. And what I've discovered is you'll never go somewhere in person unless you first go in prayer. You'll never find it in your heart to forgive someone unless you first are praying and letting God's grace flood your heart and letting God give you his heart. That's the only way you can go there. I made a decision. I was like, I'm going to start praying for my dad. He lived literally five houses down. For two years, I lived five houses down from my father. I wouldn't speak to him. But I started praying for him. The prayer was like this at first. God, I pray you would bless him. Some of you, some of you are thinking right now, I, yeah, I'm going to pray for that person who hurt me. I'm going to pray they get hemorrhoids. That's what I'm going to pray. <laughs> my prayer for my dad was like, at first it was like, God, I just pray you bless him. Amen. But my prayers got longer and my heart got softer. God, I pray you bless Joe, my dad, bless Ruth, bless Daniel, bless Sarah. God, I pray for Daniel and his wife. They're going through a tough... And I begin to pray for my dad's new family. And over time, not overnight, over time, God began to give me his heart for my father. You know, I actually started to think more about my dad's family of origin than my family of origin. I began to think about all the pain that my father walked through, and, I, and it began to eclipse my own pain, and God began to bring healing in my own heart. The first thing you got to do is you got to choose. you got to choose grace. It's a choice. Listen to me. I wrote down when I began praying for my dad in my journal. I still have it today. It was in 2002, I think, maybe 2003. Today I choose to forgive my father. That day, my feelings did not feel that. That day... I was still angry. That day, I was still dealing with a lot of bitterness. But over time, after making that decision, God began to change my heart. God began to remind me of how much I had been forgiven. God began to soften my heart towards my father. So when I stood there that day and said, debt canceled, listen, it was not in my strength. It was not in my willpower. I did not go. Listen, go to counseling. It's great. I have a counselor. I love counseling. It's amazing. Do all that stuff, all those practical things. But I'm telling you to, to show people grace and mercy to the degree that Jesus calls us to. You cannot do it in your own strength. You can't. But he can give you his grace. And his grace can flood your heart 
The second thing I would tell you is this, going back to the text, and I'll hurry and wrap up. You have to choose grace, but this is probably the most important piece. You have to fix your focus. Let me explain that. In Ephesians chapter 4, when, when Paul says, instead of this slander, gossip, rage, anger, all this, instead of that, forgive, he says this statement. Forgive just as. Just as what? Just as long as they've paid for their debt? No. Forgive just as long as you never have to see them again? No. Forgive just as, just as you feel like forgiving? No, it says forgive just as your heavenly father through Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So what is he saying? He was like, the problem is the reason you can't forgive them is your focus is on what they have done to you. And I need you to focus on what my son Jesus has done for you. And watch this. He's he's saying this. When you stop focusing on this and you focus on the cross, you focus on your own, the grace and the mercy you've received. What happens is, is it begins to fill you with grace. And then you go, "I, I don't have to magnify what they've done. I can magnify what God has done. Now, think about this theologically. The only way the Father can forgive us sinners is by not focusing on what we have done, but when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus has done, he no longer focuses on what we've done. He focuses on what his son has done, and because of that, he goes, debt canceled. They don't owe me anymore. So if that's how God the Father forgives us, how do you think we're going to forgive other people? We look to him as the model for what he's calling us to multiply in our culture. We're to be people of grace. Forgive just as your heavenly father has in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I'll finish with these, these couple thoughts just for clarity. Because I actually added this to my message after some conversations with people at the altar praying with people. First one is this, is forgiveness never minimizes what happened. Someone needs to hear that today. What happened to you was wrong. What they did it was not right. And it broke the heart of God when that happened to you. Yeah. And forgiveness, you choosing to forgive, it does not minimize what they did to you. It magnifies what God has done to oh, you. Jesus. Yes. That's what forgiveness is. The second thing is this. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. See, reconciliation is a relational term. Forgiveness is a financial term. That's turned spiritual. Sometimes, sometimes God will specifically call you to reconcile. But forgiveness is not always reconciliation. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation, but reconciliation is always forgiveness. Yeah. Let me say it like that. Yeah. See, you, you're not expected to reconcile if someone's abusing you. You're not expected to reconcile with an unhealthy, un, you know, toxic person that is bring, wreaking havoc in your life. I don't believe that God wants us in those types of relationships. Listen, watch. If you think about this practically, you can forgive someone that is now deceased. You can't reconcile with them. You see, forgiveness is not always reconciliation. So some of you today, you're thinking, I don't, that, what they did to me, I don't want to be back in that relationship. Listen, the only reason I reconcile with my father is God spoke specifically to me to forgive him and to reconcile with him, not just for your healing, but for his healing. So forgiveness is not always reconciliation. C.S. Lewis said this, to be Christian means... To forgive, excuse me, to be Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. We have to remember how much we've been forgiven because, listen, you will never be required to give anyone more grace than God has already given you. I'll wrap up with this. 
this, is, this, this message is very dear to me because of what I'm about to tell you. I was 18 years old, maybe 17 years old, was out every night partying, trying to, trying to deaden the pain that I felt as a broken young man. I had a mom that was a woman of faith. She's just unbelievable. I mean, prayer warrior. I'd come home at night, and I'd, I'd turn on my lights in my room, and I would see handprints on the wall and on, on the pillow, like spots or something on my pillow. I'd go in my mom's room, like, what is going on? It's like somebody cooking fried chicken in my room. What is going on? And she's got like a bottle of canola oil. She's on her knees praying. I'm like, Mom, there's oil, oil, oil prints all over my wall. She's like, I've been crying out to God for you. And I've been praying. I've been anointing your room with oil. And I'm like, Mom, that is Crisco. She's like, that is, that is holy oil. And I'm like, that is not holy. That, you got that from the grocery store. I'm like, don't do that. But one particular night, I came home, 17, 18 years old came home to get some more money to go back out to buy some more drugs. And uh, I walked into the, her apartment and I tripped over my mom praying for me at two in the morning, crying out to God for me. Some of you, some of you moms in here, you, you've been praying for your child. Don't, don't stop. Hold on to the faith. Keep believing. Keep crying out to God for him. The devil's no match for a praying mama. And um, I went upstairs. God, I was so, I was out of my mind. I was so intoxicated came back downstairs. She wasn't there. And I stumbled out of the house and I go to my car and my mom has pulled her car behind my car. So I couldn't leave. And I started screaming at her and yelling at her, just anger. Bitterness is all just coming out. My mom had never done anything to me. I don't, but I'm just going off on her. And, and finally I, I take her car and I, I put it in neutral and I push it, I kind of push it into a ditch like hitting her windows, trying to break out her windows, like just going off. And then I get in my car and then I go to put in reverse and I look and she's standing behind my car like this. I mean, just, just persistent. So I got out and I, I remember looking at my mom and the words that I said to her were so hurtful. I knew how to hurt her. I knew what, to, I knew what would push. And I, I just, I said, you know what? I said, if you don't get away from me, you're going to lose me just like you lost your husband. You couldn't keep him and you can't keep me. These huge tears streamed down her face and she walked inside and I got in my car and I just left. And I was so angry and so mad at her. And um, man, I, I stayed up that whole night, stayed out that whole night and stayed up and was just going through everything that I'd said to her. I'm just like, oh, so much regret as I begin to sober up. I can't believe that I did that. And so I began, like the prodigal son, to rehearse an apology speech. And I drove, and it was a five-minute drive, but it felt like f- five hours. And I got there, and I walked in the kitchen, and my mom was cooking. She had her back to me, and I sat down. And I was like, oh, she's probably so mad at me. And I said, Mom, I said, I, I, I just want to tell you. And she interrupts me. And she says, son, I've already forgiven you. I said, what? I said, let me, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you what I didn't mean. And, and she said, son, it's okay. I've already forgiven you. Debt canceled. I was 18. Debt canceled. I've already forgiven you. I said, mom, how could you do that? She said, son, she turned around to me, sat down. She said, son, she said, only people that have been forgiven truly know how to forgive. And I've been forgiven so much. She's like, I've experienced so much grace from God. 
so many second chances. She was like, son, I love you. The moment you drove off, I had already made a decision. He is my son and I love him and he is forgiven. See, hurt people hurt people, but forgiven people forgive people. And if you want to turn the page, you got to choose grace. Amen. Come on, you bow your heads with me. Father, we love you so much and just thank you for the simplicity of this. But at the same time, we know that it's because it's dealing with relationships, there's a lot of complexity to it. I hope and pray that today people were encouraged, that no one feels like they, their human experience has been devalued or that the trauma or pain or tragedy or loss has been minimized. But God, we're just turning our eyes to Jesus. We're choosing to look unto Jesus. And Jesus, we just ask you to flood our hearts with your grace, with your mercy. Give us the power and the ability to forgive those that have a debt, that have hurt us, that have wounded us. God, give us grace, give us mercy. Today, I pray for healing in every heart that needs healing. I pray for freedom for every person that needs freedom. Maybe practically there's some folks today that says, today's the day I decide, I choose, and I'm gonna be a person of grace. Maybe your next practical step is getting into a small group, having conversations around this. Maybe it's getting into some counseling. God, we just open up our hearts, we open up our minds to you and say, we don't wanna get stuck in the story. We choose today to turn the page. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, church. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.